Well, if you recognize the title, some of you may think that we need to talk about how to dress for success. And I suppose that's a good thing to dress for success. I try to do that, try to fit in, try to make it work. Uh, And when you go for a job, it's important that if the job you're going to apply for, that you dress appropriately for that. I noticed when we were interviewing the teachers, the new teachers that we hired, that they were dressed like we're teachers. It was really nice. So dressing for success is important, but that's not today. Uh, If you've seen uh, TLC's uh, program, Yes, Say Yes to the Dress, it's talking about the wedding dress. If you did not know that, yes, then you're not, well, hip. Well, I don't know if hip is the way to be, say it anymore. Um, You know this young lady? Young lady, she got her wedding dress, and boy, the money you spend on wedding dresses. Isn't it amazing? For one few hours, one day, uh, to do that, it can be an incredible experience. Well, I understand that the way you need to respond to some of these things when you are looking for that Instead of saying, well, that's, you're really cool, really hip, when you, when you really like something, you say, oh, that's really sick. Sick. That's supposed to be a really positive answer. That's, oh, that's really sick. Man, they already like that. Oh, and then dress for success. I'd like you to notice this picture. Here's the um, bride-to-be. She's preparing for her wedding, and she's standing there on this platform, in front of a mirror, but look at all the friends that are behind her to try to help her choose that wedding dress happen. The reason I know about this, Joe, is because one of our granddaughters is uh, engaged, and so she thinks to look on the dress for success. And, um, I mean, the dress, say yes to the dress. She keeps looking at these dresses. I'm amazed at the fathers who come in and talk about this. Maybe it's because they have to pay the bill. I'm not so sure about how this is going to look, and they try all these wedding dresses on and so forth. Well, you'll be glad you came here today because I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Are you going to say yes to the dress? That's the theme today. 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to begin with the preamble, the preamble that is there in 1 John. This is not the gospel of John. These are the letters of John. And John the Apostle, the beloved, as he wrote and shared these with us, uh, uh, gave to us, probably he wrote some of these late in his life on the island of Patmos where he was imprisoned. But I'd like to begin, and if you just look at the preamble for just a few minutes as we share this, John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. That which from the beginning... John says, which we, talking about the disciples, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And if you're familiar with the gospel of John, he talks about Jesus as being the word, the word of life. He's talking about Jesus, if you're familiar with that. Going on, verse 2, the life, or Jesus appeared, we have seen it, And we have testified to it, and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you 
that what we have seen and heard, so that we may also have fellowship with us, that we may have fellowship with the disciples who were there. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this, we write this to you, that you may know that our joy may be complete. And so John wrote, I love that preamble, that introduction to this, this statement that he makes is so full of lots of things. We could spend a lot of time just on what does he mean by in the beginning. But he goes on to share, and he talks about this, because you see, he is sharing what the witnesses were, that the witnesses were there. What they actually saw, and they wrote testimony to it, they wrote down on their Gospels, others contributed to that as they shared with us what this was of the Jesus appearing, the coming of Jesus in the first advent as he walked on earth. The witnesses were there, and they recorded their story for us. Now, starting on um, September the 8th, if I have my calendar correct, (laughs) which I'm now hesitant to even say, uh, is that a Saturday? Well, that's good. I'm glad to, glad to know that. Um, I'm going to start a short series, and it's going to be on the apologetics. It's not apologizing for anybody. It's going to be about sharing with uh, people, uh, sharing with you about a defense of the Christian faith a little bit. And it's going over several weeks. Um, one of you shared with me the book, um, Unbelievable. And I don't remember who did that, but you gave me a great gift. And I'm going to uh, share some of the principles out of that book, which it challenges, and then we will share with you about the challenge to the Christian faith from the secular uh, atheistic world. It'll be an important series. I think it'll be important for you. It'll begin on the 8th. So the witnesses that were there, John was saying in these witnesses as he came, As he went back, we're now going on to verse 5. The witnesses were there. We saw this. We touched it. We walked among it. We ate with him. We saw the crucifixion. We saw the death burial. We saw the resurrection. We met with Jesus. We saw him ascend into heaven. We wrote that all down for you. We are the witnesses of it. To heaven. He said, this is the message. This is the message that we have heard from him. And declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim that we have fellowship with him, if we claim that we are a follower of him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live out the truth, John says. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us of from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You should have that passage marked in your Bible. It is an incredible, incredible passage. When I read that passage, I think, Yes, if I confess my sins, what happens when I confess my sins? He forgives me of my sins, but then he also purifies me. He forgets about it. It's no longer on my record. If I confess my sins, 
You see, the great truth of the gospel is this. While we are enjoined to acknowledge our sins and are not condemned, we are not condemned to bear them. Start that again. The great gospel uh, truth is this. While we are enjoined to acknowledge our sins, we are not condemned to bear them. And that peace of mind and soul is possible only when we confess our sins and by doing so, enable God to free us from sin. Huge. That's what the gospel is. Getting over the sin that God provides us to free us from sin. To that, we should all be praising God. For us, that is the hugest thing. To get rid of the sin problem. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, he says, I write this to you so that you may, well, uh, excuse me, I write this so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have an advocate. An advocate is someone who stands in for you in his presence, who comes and pleads for you. We have an advocate who does that. Going on into the second chapter, he begins, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And no, no one, and not only, I should say, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The cleansing process. That On the cross is where the cleansing took place. And when he gave up his life, he provided for you. An innocent man died for the guilty. And he cleanses us by faith from all unrighteousness. So it's not like getting dressed for success today. That's not what I'm going to talk about. It's not like okay, if I put on rest, I can, I can look like something. Look at this guy. Say, same guy, just dressed different. Isn't that, isn't that right? Just dressed a little different. And um, we had a young man who was dressed a little bit like the guy on the right um, who was trying to get a job and couldn't get a job. So he said, well, why don't you put on a suit? And go and let, and go and, as soon as he wore a suit in there, he dressed for success and succeeded. So if we look good to God, then he'll accept us, right? No, that's not the case. Now, I need to take a little side trip here, and I need to say a word about tattoos, because you see this young man has tattoos all over him. This is where angels fear to tread. Some read in their Bible. You can read in your Bible where it says not to get a tattoo. Have you read that? It's in the Bible in the Old Testament. Some have concluded that that means all tattoos. That that's what the Bible is talking about. But if you read the context... It's not talking about inking your skin. It's talking about putting in your skin, tattooing symbols that are used in the worship of the devil and of uh, spiritualism. That was the context. Context talks about that you have the leaders, the pastors, the priests, were not to let their hair be cut short. 
because that was a sign of being involved with devil worship. Like yours truly. If you know the Jewish tradition of them curls all the way down, have you seen that? Some of that Jewish thing? All the way down? That's why they take that passage seriously. They don't cut the hair because they let it grow down. So they've been following the scriptures, the Old Testament. But I've never had anyone come to me and say, Pastor, you shouldn't be letting your hair grow short on the side there. You shouldn't cut it off like that because it reminds me of devil worship. No one's ever said that. But we do turn around and say things about people's tattoos. Say, oh, it must be a tattoo. It's terrible. And miss the scriptural point totally. Now, you can do whatever you like and so forth, but if you really want the context of what that passage was written in, you have to look at what it really was about. Is that fair? That's what we want to look fair in the context. All right. So I had a young lady come up to me in church. She came across the narthex. Most of you call it the lobby. She came across the church. As soon as she came in, she said, Pastor, how do you like my new tattoo? Well, I said, look at that. I mean, what am I supposed to say? We're off the topic of tattoos now. The reality is that Jesus knows you. You cannot hide from him. You cannot hide your life from him. He recognizes that if he were to look at you, and as he knows you, you would appear, as you look to him, like this poor guy, covered with mud. Filthy rags, isn't that what we're talking about? Filthy rags. Look at this guy, he's in the mud hole. Come there. Jesus would look at you that way, but he loves you anyway, even though you're filthy and sin. That's the amazing part. Of God's great grace. He looks through the sin to see you and to see me. Amazing part of the gospel story to me. Zechariah 3. We must go to Zechariah 3. There is a little Zechariah is full of all kinds of symbolism. But in Zechariah 3 we find this little story. This little picture uh, in in the prophecy that shows an experience with Joshua. Not Joshua of, of um, Moses' time, but Joshua the high priest, which came later before Israel was taken captive into Babylon. So Zechariah tells of this story, and we're looking at chapter 3, beginning with the very first verse. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, which was Christ. Standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing to his right side to accuse him. It's the very same story of Job, see? And it's the very same story of yours, life and mine. Standing right there. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? You may have the King James Version. A brand picked from the burning. Do you have that? A brand. At the last moment, before it was completely destroyed, it was snatched out of the fire. Last moment before you were totally lost, he snatched you, took you out. 
Is that not? Brands from the burning. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes. Remember, we're in prophecy, so he's mentioning the filthy clothes are like your sins, like the man with all the mud all over him. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes, and he stood before the angel of the Lord. He stood there before Christ. Christ could see him as he was. And verse 4, And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Who takes it off? The angels. The angels came and took off his filthy clothes, directed by Christ. And then he said to him, to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put on fine garments on you. Fine garments will be put on you. Then I said, Put on a clean turban on his head. Put on a clean turban on his head and clothe him while the angel of the Lord stood by. And then I said, put on, here's the picture of it, of putting on the robe of righteousness upon Christ. All right. So back to, uh, yes, yes to the dress. So, is it yes to the dress? I'm asking you. Is it yes to the dress? I'm not talking about a wedding dress someday. I'm talking about your wedding dress of righteousness for when Christ comes to take you home. Is it yes to the dress of Christ's righteousness? That's really the point about it. Do you want Jesus to remove your sins and to clothe you with his righteousness. Yes. Exactly. That's exactly what John was talking about. Well, John goes on to describe this in chapter 7 of Revelation. Chapter 7 of Revelation. And he's looking into the future. And he wants to share with us. Now, we don't have time. If you took my class last fall, you, un- uh, you understand this. Last spring as we were going through this. But in chapter 7, verse 9, and after John said, And after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Every nation, tribe, people, and language is sitting in this room as well. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing what? White robes. They were wearing white robes. Some people say, well, we're all going to wear our white robes in heaven. I hope we don't get them dirty. It's not that. We're in prophecy, just as we were with Zechariah. We're talking about the righteousness of Christ has something so embedded in it as your permanent clothing. And they were holding palm branches in their hands. Why palm branches? Remember the triumphal entry when Jesus came in? It was to show the loyalty into the king. As he came in, they were holding branches, recognizing their role and honoring before the king. And they said, out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And then one of the elders, one of the 24 elders, said there, Ask me, these in the white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? And John answered and said, well, sir, you know where they came from. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, they said yes to the dress. (laughs) Yes to the dress. 
So how about you? How about you? Is it yes to the dress for you in your life? Are you able to today? Lord, I stand before you with my filthy rags. A mud all over me. I stand before you and I've come, I confess my sin. And I know that you are faithful and just to forgive me. Therefore, you have promised to put your robe, your righteousness on me. That act makes every one of us equal, doesn't it? Because no matter our background, no matter what we've done, no matter when we are forgiven, we are all covered by his righteousness. Dear Lord, I thank you for that great story. The bride, she goes and she prepares for the bridegroom. She puts on her wedding gown. There's a great wedding coming when you will come and take us home. We today can choose to have our dress. We can choose to be covered with the righteousness of Christ, with his goodness on us, given to us freely, given to us at great cost to himself. But Lord, we thank you for giving us that. It is our only hope. Bless us as we live in the dress that you gave. In Jesus' name, amen.